To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash give tech. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash give tech. To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash give tech. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash give tech. The tech industry's get out of jail free card gets challenged by users of dating apps. From American Public Media, this is Marketplace Tech. I'm Lily Jamali. Whether for a hookup or to find true love, three out of every 10 American adults say they've used a dating app. But an investigation out today from Mother Jones looks into how these apps can also incubate abuse, finding that companies like Grindr and Match Group have failed to protect some of their users from predators. At the heart of this story is this question, is that their responsibility? The tech industry has long argued that the answer is no, thanks to 26 words in Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which became law in, get this, 1996. Abby Vasoulis is the author of that investigation. Her story begins with Matthew Herrick, whose ex-boyfriend created fake profiles of him on Grindr. And a warning that our conversation contains references to sexual abuse and violence. They said that he was into orgies and violent sex. And worst of all, they said that he had rape fantasies. And so over the course of these 10 months, over 1,100 men uh, showed up at Matthew's house. They showed up at his workplace. They followed him into public restrooms. And all the while, Grinder was ignoring Matthew's pleas for help. So Matthew took them to court. And, and ultimately, Grinder was found not to be responsible for the fake profiles that the ex was making. And this is not that big of a surprise that that case didn't go anywhere because of the way Section 230 works. Can you talk us through that? Yeah. So Section 230 was written in 1996 in the very nascent days of the internet when it was really just rudimentary chat forums. Now the internet is used in the case of dating apps, to link strangers together in real life. It's just a very different level of danger compared to what the internet was originally being used for. But Section 230 means that the platforms aren't responsible. I wonder what indications you're seeing that some lawyers and judges are starting to think differently about the responsibility that online platforms have for what users post on them. Yeah. Increasingly, we've seen a couple judges at the federal, um, but also some state levels, look at cases against big tech companies and say, perhaps we can look at these such as 
judges look at cases involving more tangible products. So, for example, if a car seat manufacturer was taken to court because their product was faulty and a child ended up harmed over it, there would be an, an easy lawsuit there. So now some judges are starting to look at tech platforms product design in a similar way. One judge in the last couple of years recently looked at um, Omegle when an 11-year-old girl was linked up with a man who ended up extracting pornographic imagery out of her. The family sued Omegle and Omegle tried to argue, look, Section 230, we're not responsible. But a judge said, well, actually, this is more to do with the design of your product than it does with the fact that a man was doing bad things. You designed your product in a way where potentially that design played a role in this girl's abuse. And so it's increasingly Section 230 is not being looked at as the get-out-of-jail-free card. If, if tech companies designed their products in a way that culminated in abuse, they could be held liable. Yeah, how significant would you say that shift in thinking is I know it's just a, just one judge among many here, but it seems like potentially, you know, a, a real sea change could be underway because of that. So there's at least two cases I can think of in which judges have have been open to the product liability approach in cases. But beyond that, there's also a growing number of lawyers who are willing to take up these cases against big tech companies. Um, the lawyer that represented Matthew Herrick against Grindr a couple years ago, she said that when she first took up that case, she felt really lonely because there was nobody else who who really seemed open to her, her line of thinking as applied to big tech. But now there's a number of of lawyers who are taking on these cases um, and and in some cases getting some some marginal wins. Can you talk about how the dating apps are responding? I mean, you write about how Match Group, for example, has embedded a third-party service for users to do background checks on potential dates. What kind of feedback are you hearing on that? There is a couple of limitations of that specific tool. If this user didn't want to pay the $3.25 to, to do this limited screening on their date, and then they were assaulted or harmed in some other way, then you might look at the person who could have done that screening and said, well, you know, you didn't look this person up, so that's on you. So experts are a little worried about the, the possibility of victim blaming um, when it's on somebody to investigate their date rather than on the apps to just require there be a more thorough screening on all users. Is it your sense that it might be safer or one potentially safe avenue for dating apps to require verification systems? Does that seem to be a real flaw in the way these apps are designed? I think it is a step that dating apps could take, but the dating apps that I talked to, for the most part, came back with a, a concern about user privacy. They were worried about the possible implications of storing things like users' government IDs. Um, some talked about what it would mean to store a, a government ID for a trans person, for example, and how their that name might not match up 
um, with the name that they they go by in in real life. And so there might be a concern about privacy there. But I will say that lots of companies and services require IDs. You know, you can't really go to Costco without using a government ID. You can't book a hotel or, or rent a car. Um, so those companies have managed to protect user privacy and and come up with a good data security method. And in some ways, I think that the stakes for meeting a stranger um, that you met online through online dating might be higher than the risks of, of going to Costco or, or renting a car. So it's definitely something that big tech might want to consider moving forward. So it's worth noting that you came to report this story based on an incident in your own life on the dating app Hinge. Not to put you on the spot, but I wonder if you don't mind sharing a little bit about that experience. Of course. Yeah. The reason I first got interested in this story was because um, a couple years ago, I, like many of my friends, was using online dating apps and I met um, a man who said he was 31, that he was single. Um, and I, as a reporter, tried to do my due diligence. I was able to confirm that he worked at the place that he said he worked at. I thought I was good and that this was safe. And um, then some things just started to not add up. And I later discovered um, that he had lied about his age by six years. But more than that, it was scary that it was so easy to misrepresent yourself online. And I just wondered if there had been other people who received or were on the the other end of, of some harm, whether emotional or physical, um, because of how easy it was to mislead and misrepresent yourself online. And, and that's how I found the stories of, of many of the people that I include in my article. You quote a scholar in your article who basically says something, I'm paraphrasing here, something along the lines of, look, this activity has happened as long as people have been socializing with each other. This is just, you know, one of the the pitfalls of social interaction and that apps cannot fix humans. Um, as somebody who had encountered, you know, a slice of this kind of activity um, in your own life, I wonder, you know, what did you make of that comment from the scholar who who is saying, I mean, something that is unequivocally true. This is unfortunately the darker side of how humans interact. Yeah. I mean, he made a good point and it made me really reflect on on what he was saying and that like, you know, there have been people for as long as bars have existed that have gone into a bar and have um, been drugged or had too much to drink. And then something bad happened to them as a result of of drinking and going into that bar. And usually we don't hold the bar legally responsible uh, for what happened there. At the same time, though, bars have instituted steps to make such abuse less likely. They teach bartenders how to not overserve. They have water stations out at bars. Some bars are required, depending on what state you're in, are required to have food to make it so that people don't get as drunk as quickly. And in my case, you know, the person I was dating had lied about his age online because it was so easy to just plug in a fake birth date. Had there been an ID check, he wouldn't have been able to do that. So in in my particular case, I think what I went through could have been prevented with a with a, just a little bit stricter of a safety check. And 
I think the same is true for several of the other characters in my story as well. You can't completely wipe out abuse online, but certainly some bad things can be prevented with just a little bit more foresight. Abby Vasoulis is with Mother Jones. If you want to read Abby's full investigation, go to our website, marketplacetech.org. You heard us talk about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Well, in Washington, legislation introduced earlier this summer would create a carve-out to the industry's immunity under the provision. It would allow for social media companies to be sued for spreading harmful material created with generative AI technology. And it is a bipartisan bill brought by Democrat Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut and Republican Josh Hawley of Missouri, who generally don't agree on a whole lot. They introduced the legislation after the Supreme Court struck down two cases that would have narrowed the scope of the tech industry's immunity under Section 230. More on that on our website. Jesus Alvarado produced this episode. I'm Lily Dramali, and that's Marketplace Tech. This is APM. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.